This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today, we're joined by Jeff Curry, Global Head of Commodities Research for Goldman Sachs Research. Jeff's one of our most frequent guests. Always a pleasure to have him on. We're going to be talking about the 2021 outlook for commodities bull run. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Jake. So in your outlook piece for next year, you said you expect a structural bull market to lead to higher commodity prices and subsequently higher inflation. Big picture, what's behind that thesis? Well, let's start with the idea that the vaccine is a tactical upside for commodity prices as we see the normalization in activity next year. The pandemic itself is a structural catalyst. And what do I mean by that? is COVID is a social crisis which has shifted policy towards accommodating social need. And that means policy will be directed at lower income households that consume much more of the stimulus and consume far more commodities because they outnumber the higher income households. This stands in sharp contrast to the period after the financial crisis which it was a financial crisis about the stability of the financial system itself. And the stimulus was directed at solving this banking crisis, which in turn created a wealth effect. The wealth effect basically benefited higher income households who have a very low marginal propensity to consume and did not consume a lot of commodities. So this is really the structural shift. And it's embodied in three themes that we see dominating next year and likely the next three to five or even 10 years. The first theme is structural underinvestment and supply. The second theme is social policy-driven demand. And then the third theme is a macro tailwind. So let's start with the first theme of structural underinvestment. This is very similar to a theme we were telling two decades ago. We called it the revenge of the old economy, meaning that the new economy stole capital from the old economy and restricted its ability to grow supply. This time, instead of being the dot-com boom, it's the fangs. Then you overlay negative oil prices earlier this year on top of that underinvestment, and then you overlay ESG concerns on top of that, you end up with a 40% decline in oil capex during the first half of this year. That is unprecedented, but it's just not limited to oil. We see it across the board, metals, mining, agriculture, and the entire old economy. So that's theme one. Theme number two, policy-driven demand. You know, obviously the big one is the green infrastructure or green capex to solve climate change. But there's also the redistributional policies coming out of COVID itself. They're not going to disappear with the vaccine, you know, in the second quarter of next year. They're likely to continue for several more years. The net of that is it creates an investment cycle akin to what we saw out of China in the 2000s. And there's, you know, three legs to this investment cycle. There's the green CapEx. There's the redistributional policies. 
And then there's also resilience in supply chains, you know, dual 5G networks around the world. You know, we have, you know, replicative manufacturing production supply chains due to the trade war. So all of this creates a CapEx boom on par with what we saw with the BRICS during the 2000s or even the 1970s. The third theme, which is the macro tailwind, really is this idea of a weak dollar help push commodity prices higher. But let's remember, higher commodity prices reinforce a weaker dollar. The net of that is you get this positive feedback loop that reinforces higher commodity prices, which what we saw play out in the 1970s, as well as the 2000s. The bottom line is, I like to argue, is this ship has already sailed, or you want to say the train has left the station. Uh, When we look at the dollar, it's broke multi-year trend lines. FX reserves outside in the emerging markets are already rising sharply. That's due to a surge in global trade more recently. Metals prices are reaching multi-year highs. At the same time, oil has already breached $50 a barrel. All of this suggests this structural bull market is already underway. So the bull market's underway in many ways. How do you reconcile that with what still feels, at least in the U.S., like a a pretty weak macro environment amidst the, the second surge or third surge of COVID? Are commodities just looking through the spikes that we're seeing right now in a lot of developed markets in the same way the equity market is? It really depends upon the commodities. If you separate the commodities that have been most severely impacted by COVID, primarily oil, because it sits at the center of social contact and globalization, you separate oil from all the other commodities that are investment type commodities like copper, iron ore, what you find is that the fundamentals for non-oil commodities are very strong right now. Inventories are quite low, demand is quite high. You know, China has been focused on infrastructure and construction. They're stimulating those two parts of the economy. And let's not forget, you know, most people sitting at home are surfing the web, doing DIY projects, purchasing goods, physical goods off of the Internet through Amazon. And as a result, which is what's driving global trade right now in the U.S., durable goods consumption is up 15 percent year over year. And so what this suggests is that if the commodity is solid and you can touch it, you want to be long it today. And it doesn't have to see through anything because the fundamentals are very strong. In contrast, if it's liquid like oil, you know, it's trying to look through really high inventories. And what's keeping it supported right now was that OPEC production cut, which has taken supply off the market and allowing inventories to draw. The bottom line is, and you know, I have not seen this before in my 25-year career, is every single commodity market is in a deficit today meaning that demand exceeds supply. That is a very rare dynamic, which underscores the structural shifts in both supply and demand that are currently underway. Let's talk a little bit more about oil. Always a great topic. It's been quite the year for prices. We saw negative prices, at least in some markets earlier this year. And then uh, obviously it's come back recently. What do you think the market looks like over the course of 2021? At first, it's going to be sluggish because you have to draw down the high inventory levels. But people like to call oil the vaccine trade. Why? Because jet fuel represents most of that demand weakness. And once the vaccine starts to take hold, people will likely get back into the planes and start to fly again. That will begin to tighten the market. 
and allow OPEC to bring that spare capacity back online again. You know, the net of this between the OPEC production cuts, non-OPEC production declines due to that revenge of the old economy story we were just talking about, combine that with the vaccine improvement in jet fuel demand, that's going to create the deficit to really draw inventories. Because remember, we built up a large amount of inventories over the course of the last nine months or that period when you know COVID was at its greatest point back in that period between March and June. Those inventories are drawn down. We think they normalize sometime in the third quarter, at which point as you go into the fourth quarter is when we see the real upside in oil our target towards the end of the next year is $65 a barrel. And I want to emphasize that's higher than the cost basis. One of the core reasons for the higher price is that these producers will not likely have access to capital markets and have to drill out of cash flow, something we haven't seen in many years. One of the reasons they won't have access to capital markets is due to the very poor returns that the sector has faced over the course of the last several years. So the net of this is, Near term, you got to deal with those high inventories, which means this market probably trades sideways. But once inventories are normalized, then you can move to the upside. And the upside is likely to be much higher than what we've seen in the previous periods, just because these producers need to drill out of cash flow as opposed to having access to the capital markets. So, Jeff, you're pretty bullish on both gold and silver. How are investors thinking about safe haven assets? You know, you're seeing a risk on trade generally across the board. So why are people bullish on gold and silver? Well, I think very near term, as you point out, with you know the risk on dynamic, it does create downside risk to the precious metals complex. But we think that would likely be temporary. What the market needs to see is improve of pricing pressure or inflationary type pressures. We're not talking rapid inflation. You know, some evidence that as the economy begins to recover in the second quarter of next year, that they begin to see those pricing pressures. And there's three dynamics we think that are going to be at play. First is what we call the fear demand for gold and silver. This is driven by lower real interest rates in the developed markets. And the reason we think that requires real evidence of inflationary pressures is if the Fed keeps nominal rates fixed where they are right now, inflationary pressures begin to rise, that drives down real rates, which in turn drives up gold and silver. The second dynamic is what we call wealth demand. That's physical demand for gold in the emerging markets like China and India. That's proxied by the U.S. dollar. When you have strong demand growth outside of the U.S., that helps create a weaker dollar environment that improves the purchasing power of these emerging markets, and they buy more gold. The third dynamic is inflationary tail risks. That's really being driven by the increased policy. And again, green infrastructure, green CapEx really sits at the center of this policy-driven demand. And when we think about solar panels and silver, it's important to remember that 20% of industrial demand for silver comes from solar panels. Expectations, we're going to see a 40% rise in solar capacity due to these policies. And we think that that will lead to a 9 to 10% rise in silver demand, which is really behind our bullish view on silver. So in terms of our price targets, we're $2,300 on gold and $30 an ounce on silver. We can't go through a podcast with you without talking about cryptocurrency. And our listeners love to hear about crypto. 
What do you expect in the year ahead? It's had quite a run recently, but what do you expect for 2021 on the crypto front? Well, Bitcoin is definitely a commodity. It represents the first time you've been able to take electronic currency off the grid. And that's really the defining feature of Bitcoin. We've always had electronic currencies. The difference is you can take it off the grid, which is what makes it a commodity. Now, if we think about the benefits of taking it off the grid, there are two benefits. One is for doing black market illegal type activities, or two, taking a financial system to an area of the world that does not have a financial system. Now, when we think about that crypto nature of taking it off the grid for illegal purposes, it creates an environment that it makes it very difficult from an anti-money laundering perspective for institutional investors to invest in Bitcoin. I like to point out the crypto nature of crypto itself creates a problem for institutional investors. And to overcome these issues, you need a custodial relationship with the client, like what you have with gold, so that we know who the past owners were, such that it doesn't violate any money laundering rules. And so when we think about that, what that says is, yeah, from a retail investor perspective, crypto is likely to steal demand from gold. And I think you're seeing it right now today. You know, you look at gold, it has lagged its macro counterpart variables. We think part of that is the retail demand is going into Bitcoin. However, when we look at the institutional demand, we still think it'll be isolated in the gold markets. I like to point out Gold has 3,000 years of you know, institutional arrangements and has been trading for three millenniums. In contrast, Bitcoin has been trading for 12 years and doesn't have the same type of institutional arrangements. All right, Jeff, we covered oil, gold, silver, crypto. What's on your radar screen going into the new year beyond those topics? I think it's really, you know, climate change, you know, sits at the center of the commodity complex, obviously. And when we think about all of these pieces really um, coincide around the inflationary pressures, because it's green capex is one of the ways to solve the social need issue and income inequality in the broader economy. And it also sits at the center of these policy dynamics. They have the potential to create inflationary pressures as well as higher commodity prices. Now, when we look at what are the best hedges against inflationary pressures, we want to emphasize commodities sit at the top of that list. And the really the reason why is when you have an environment in which you see broad-based macro-level inflation, you want to own what's in that CPI basket. And that means real assets, things we really consume. And when we think about oil, copper, base metals, those encompass and go into the production of many of those things we consume. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. It's great to cover the waterfront with you. Great. Thanks for having me. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. Please tune in later in the week for our weekly markets update, where the leaders around the firm give a quick take on what they are watching in markets. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, December 15th in the year 2020. Thank you for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. 
Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.